Dear listeners, you are tuned into WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listeners, we are in the midst of Holy Week for Christians leading up to Easter, which coincides this year with the start of Passover this weekend. So it's a made-to-order interfaith week, and we've gathered a couple of terrific guests to explore some unique cultural and religious experiences in both traditions. So without further delay, it's time to get into some interfaith-ish. Dear listeners, this morning I'm joined in the studio by Franz Afraim Katzer, the founding director of Sephardic Heritage International DC, or Shin DC. Shin DC is a cultural diplomacy organization that builds intercultural bridges while raising awareness of Sephardic and other underrepresented Jewish heritages and the cultures and arts and history of the Middle East, North Africa, the Iberian Peninsula, Greece, the Balkans, and Central and Western Asia. He's involved with many cultural festivals in D.C., including the Turkish Festival Committee, Syria Fest, and the Washington Jewish Film Festival, amongst others. Welcome, Ephraim. Thank you. And joining us from the saint louis de france Catholic Parish in Washington, D.C., is Vanessa Badre. Vanessa is... Uh, a graduate of La Sorbonne, the, the university in Paris, and has held careers as an attorney and an art historian. She's been an invited lecturer at the Hirschhorn Museum, the George Washington University, the Phillips Collection, amongst others. Welcome to you, Vanessa. Hello. Good morning. So this week, which is a holy week for Christians, uh, was also marked by the tragic fire at Notre Dame. So I want to start there with you, Vanessa. Would you begin by explaining what the importance is of Notre Dame to Catholics and in your community? Notre Dame for French people, for Parisians, and for Catholics is really the epicenter of, uh, of our country. Um, of our faith. Uh, from, um, from a French point of view, uh, even if you are not a Catholic, Notre Dame is really the place uh, that is uh, considered by everybody as a center. Can you imagine that mm. our country is very, very centralized? Mm. And so everybody refers to Paris. And when you are in a town in um, uh, some part of France, you always have the distance between this town with Paris, hmm. so 300 kilometers or 342 kilometers, and uh, it will be the distance with the, the town and Paris, Notre Dame. Hmm. So, so Notre Dame is everywhere in all around the country with these landmarks, these milestones with the distance. Um, so, of course, Notre Dame belongs to our, uh, to our country, and for Catholics, this is really the place where we have the feeling that everything began uh, at Notre Dame, mm. uh, because this is the f it's not the first church in Paris, but it is the most uh, splendid, uh, the highest, the biggest. Um, so this, this is really a sign, a sign of faith for Catholic and for uh, 
and for everybody. Yeah. It's a witness. And and for your story in particular, tell us a little bit about the importance that Notre Dame has in, in, in your life as a Catholic. At the Catholic, um, Notre Dame has a very great importance in, um, in my faith. Uh, you know, for me, um, the call of priesthood is, is really mysterious. How you can have this very intimate conversation with God, and as a man, you are called to dedicate all your life uh, to the love of Jesus, and you are dedicated to your community, and uh, and so for me, the, the 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 moment, the momentous time of ordination is is, is really something. Uh, it's more than a wedding, you know. It's mm. it's such a, a powerful sacrament. Um, so I've been wanting since I'm ten years old. I've been wanting to participate in a. In, in an ordination celebration. But you know, there is a lack of vocations. Ah. So it's not because you want to participate in an ordination celebration that you, you can. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and you need to know somebody who, who is going to be ordinated and you will be invited. Because even if Notre Dame is big, it's not big enough to welcome all the people mm. who want to participate mm. in an ordination mass. So, so when I was 20 years old, I was very f lucky and fortunate to be invited to the ordination of the brother of a good friend. And so I, I remember the, the emotions. Um, it's, it's, it's really, you feel the divine in, in the stones with all those, the, all those people, all the believers who are uh, in, into the love of God. So I, I kept in touch with this, with uh, the family of this priest because I'm a good friend of his sister. And Christian just died uh, 15 days ago, just oh, before wow. the fire in Notre Dame. So, uh, but because we believe in resurrection and because we believe in the eternal love of God and because we believe in eternal life, well, after a time of desolation, death of this young priest, this priest, the fire in Notre Dame, time of desolation, time of consolation. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how it is that you've been feeling. We literally were watching it burn and we saw so many of these videos of people out in the streets in Paris crying, singing Ave Maria together. You know, I, t tell us about the emotions and the feelings that you were, you were having watching this uh, event. Um, well, it was... It was great as a Catholic. You know, Catholic people are really a minority now in uh, in France because uh, we are, I'm afraid to say that we are losing our Catholic roots. Uh, so, uh, and, and people don't express their faith too much. You know, it's, uh, uh, people don't say God bless you uh, several times in a day as you listen to uh, even at a cashier in the supermarket here. It would never happen in France because we are definitely a secular country and, and so faith belongs to the private circle, private sphere. Uh, so it was wonderful to see people, Catholic, young Catholic people who were not afraid to pray the Virgin in, in front of Notre Dame, and and to be uh, respected, you know, to there are there was so much violence in in France, um, doors of churches that were burnt. Uh, so so Catholic people are really ag 
feels the aggression, the mm. violence. So it was There's wonderful. There's been an antagonistic uh, yes, feeling yes, towards the church yes, community. Yes, so it was wonderful to, to see uh, uh, Catholic people singing very peacefully mm. and expressing uh, hope. You know, the, the, the point of, of, of being a Christian and a Catholic is, is hope and, and faith. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was great to, to listen to them expressing this hope and, and, and seeking for consolation in yeah. this time of desolation and, and to be respected by the silence of other people who were tourists or mm. atheists or, um, or people who don't share the same religion. And particularly during this time of preparation for, for Easter, what have the conversations been like with your family, with your community around, around these things? The, the conference, the preaches for um, Lent, you know, at Notre Dame are very famous. So you, you listen to them or you have them on, on, your, uh, on the website of Notre Dame. So, so it, was, it was interesting to, to, to read uh, the, the last conference of Lent, uh, that was given, um, so it's everywhere on the internet, uh, and it's really a message, a message of hope. You know, uh, maybe uh, Notre Dame has uh, accepted to to die again, uh, just to to give us some. Uh, it's like an electric shock, you know, to to uh, to encourage a revival of our faith, mm. um, and well, we are the living stones. So, so the, the, the message is, yes, there is a church, there are stones, but uh, we, the believers, we are the living stones. And, and we, we must rebuild the cathedral, but we, may, we, we must convert mm. all, of the, of, all of us mm. to really have, uh, you know, Jesus in our heart. Our, our, our body is our little church where you welcome God. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking this morning about uh, Easter and the fire at Notre Dame with Vanessa Badre, a art historian who's also Catholic and a member of uh, Saint-Louis-de-France Parish here in, in D.C. My other guest this morning is Franz Afraim Katzer, the founding director of uh, Sephardic Heritage International DC, a cultural diplomacy organization raising awareness of Sephardic Jewish culture. Afraim, for our, our dear listeners who are not familiar with um, the Sephardic uh, tradition, what does it mean to you to be Sephardic? So, first of all, it, it may be helpful to define Sephardic, and there isn't completely agreement on what that means. There's a narrow sense of the term that refers to those Jews who were expelled from, from Spain um, under the Alhambra degree, decree in 1492 and who settled around the world, um, you know, everywhere from um, Turkey to the U.S. And in fact, um, there were Sephardic, the first um, Jews who came to settled in the U.S. were Sephardic, came here in 1655, and were part of the community in, in New Amsterdam. Uh, so there's that aspect that relates to that relates to Spain. In fact, in its literal sense, um, Sephardic means Spanish in Hebrew. Um, however, the term has also come to refer to pretty much any Jew without a German or Yiddish-speaking historical background. Hmm. 
And so we're really talking about a diverse group of people when you're talking about Sephardic in the pan sense. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I connect to. I grew up in Los Angeles and in the synagogues. Uh, you have Sephardic Jews from a variety of countries, at, in, you know, everywhere from Iran to, to Jews who do have roots in Spain, um, from Spain via Turkey or Greece and so forth. So when we're talking about the differences with, say, Ashkenazi Jews and um, the, the sense that people have of Ashkenazi Jews who compo comprise 90 to 95% of the Jewish population in the U.S., um, when we're comparing, we're talking about comparing to Sephardi cultures. It's a very diverse group. Right. And so, it's pretty much everybody else. It's right. Arabic-speaking and Farsi-speaking right. and Spanish-speaking and everything. And so, for example, people um, may associate Yiddish with, um, with Jews. But like you said, Sephardic Jews have uh, speak uh, languages, um, including Arabic. Uh, you know, for example, even in the Passover Seder, for, for Syrian Jews, even those who've been in the U.S. for a very long time, there's part of it that's in Arabic. Mm. And also you have uh, Persian Jews, and there are actually several Jewish languages, so to speak, that are spoken in Iran. There's also Judeo-Spanish. So people might not think of, uh, of Spanish being associated with Jews, but you have Judeo, the Jews who speak Judeo-Spanish. And so people might have uh, a certain idea of what Jewish is and equate Ashkenazi um, Judaism and culture with Jewish, but there's so much so much more. So tell us a little bit about as as you're preparing for Passover. What is that experience like in your in your family? When we talk about Passover, and one of the things is certainly the food, and people think about the restrictions because you're not allowed to own or derive benefit, which includes eating um, leavened um, foods during Passover, mm -hmm. and the list of foods that Ashkenazi Jews do not eat is longer than the list for Sephardic Jews. For example, uh, Sephardic Jews can have corn and beans and rice. The rice I associate very much with Passover because mm. you're not allowed to have bread and pasta and all these things. And so, but beforehand, you have to check the rice three times to make sure there are no kernels of wheat in there. Mm. And so that's one of the things that I remember, you know, that I, I think about when Passover is, is coming, um, you know, the checking of the rice and the preparation. That was a family activity that you did together? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Or assignments, and maybe. <laughs> yeah, so that takes some work, you know, yeah. uh, putting out the rice and sort of making sure there are, no, there are no wheat kernels in there. Yeah. And often what happens when you you're in a Sephardic community and there are people from different countries, uh, the, f the food also spreads and people begin to 
sometimes try each other's right. dishes. I also think of um, uh, stuffed uh, artichoke bottoms um, or Passover, which is Moroccan. So um, in terms of Moroccan food that I associate with Passover, I think of the stuffed artichoke bottoms. Mm. Um, in terms of, say, Syrian um, cuisine, I, I think of the, of the stuffed vegetables, particularly makshi uh, kusa or stuffed uh, zucchinis. Mm. One of the, the things that's also different for a number of communities is the variety of matzah or unleavened bread that's used. For a number of communities, historically, they're used to a softer type of matzah. Mm. But most people in, in the U.S. use the sort of hard... Right, the hard cracker. <laughs> the hard cracker, um, which, and they're thin. And it turns out that that kind of, the, the driving force behind that kind of matzah was shelf life. Hmm. And because the, the soft matzah... You're going to eat it right away as soon as... Yeah, 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 you have to put it out, eat it right away. Beautiful. And so one of the things that we... Um, at Sephardic Heritage International DC did this year was to distribute soft matzah mm. for people who um, either are familiar with it and wanted to access it or for people who wanted to try something different. And so it was shipped in from Israel on ice oh, okay. um, wow. had to remain frozen and and then once it gets here, it has to remain frozen, and then it has to remain frozen until you put it in the person's hand. Yeah, amazing. Well, you've you've gone through a a, a litany of of uh, wonderful descriptions of food that's making me very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a great uh, table that's going to be spread later for the seder. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Interfaith Ish on WOWD ninety four point three FM. We've been talking this morning with Afram Katsar, the founding director of uh, Sephardic Heritage International DC, a cultural diplomacy organization raising awareness of Sephardic Jewish culture. Uh, my other guest this morning is art historian Vanessa Badre, who's also uh, Catholic and uh, originally from France. So for both of you, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this question of continuation, of passing on traditions, of how you maintain, in your case, Vanessa, mm -hmm. A, a thriving Catholic identity in the context of France or, or even here as an expat? Well, Notre Dame plays a very, a very crucial role in that because uh, it's an iconic building. Um, and so for us as Catholic, it, it, it was and it is very important to have Notre Dame as a good shape because, mm. you know, she is she's a speech she she is this building is more than a building symbol it's a symbol yeah. but it speaks you know oh, when okay. you get mm -hmm. inside the walls when you look at the sculptures so it's it's a full speech uh, a full testimony about faith you know when you think about the strength and the desire of the people who, who, who built it all the money that what brought inside so so it was very important for us to keep notre dame strong and alive, and before this devastating fire, um, Notre Dame was in a very bad shape. 
But in fact, it was very hard to make people believe that uh, Notre Dame was about to collapse because it looks so powerful, so beautiful, so high. So, so when we asked people, because we've been on, on this uh, fundraising trip for several years as a, as a family, uh, it was very hard to, to make people realize that, yes, Notre Dame is about to collapse. And people said, no, are you sure? And it was really, even among the Catholic people, uh, please give us a little bit of money. Mm. And, um, and, and so uh, there was a discrepancy between the conscience of the, the, the reality of the bad shape of, of Notre Dame uh, and, uh, and the, the reaction of people. So at the time, before the... Um, before the destruction by the fire, it was um, a budget, the estimate budget was about uh, uh, 170 million uh, of euros. Uh, now we need to, to rethink it completely and, and to, we have to multiply by five at, at least mm. to, to bring money. Right. But at, at least there is an awareness now mm -hmm. because now it is destroyed and you can see it mm. uh, before you had to bring people uh, to show them all the gargoyles uh, it, it, it yeah. was a very hard job to to make people feel conscious that we need to renovate notre dame and there were also a number of very holy relics that were housed i mean it's not just a building right it's also yes, it, it's, it's, it's a there are a number of very important exactly pieces. you know when we think about holy places we think of course, about Holy Land, we think about Jerusalem, we go on pilgrimage to Saint-Jacques-de-Compostelle or to Roma. But Paris, Paris is a place of revolution, Paris is a place of violences, but Paris is a holy place. And, and uh, I, I wanted to, because we have Notre Dame, and in Notre Dame we have the, the holy uh, thor um, crown of thorns, crown of thorns. Uh, mm -hmm. that St. Louis uh, bought uh, to the Venetians. Uh, so we have very, very precious relics. And, and even if the, the cult of the relics is not as trendy as it was, there is a big revival, the conscience of the importance of the mm. of the relics, because as you you keep a, the jewel of your beloved grandmother, uh, these we are body and flesh. We are a soul, uh, body and flesh, and spirit and soul. So so our body is a temple, and so when the Holy Spirit went on a, a body, a, a person, it's important to keep uh, to keep this piece of, of, of mm -hmm. the body as a, as a reminder. Ephraim, what are the, some of the similar things um, in the Sephardic tradition that are, that are passed down? We talked about food. You know, obviously grandmothers are key to that, passing down those, those wonderful recipes and so forth. That's definitely an important part of the, of the experience, but so much more is needed um, in order to preserve the tradition. I remember something that Rabbi Mark Angel um, said, as uh, a rabbi in, um, a notable rabbi in New York, that it's not enough to, to have the, the synagogues or the buildings, he said, that you need a lot more than that. He said you need strong educational programs for Sephardic 
um, particularly for Sephardic youth. And that's something that is very much lacking in Sephardic communi communities throughout the U.S., even in Los Angeles, where, you know, you have the largest Iranian Jewish um, community in the U.S., there's very little in terms of, um, you know, educational institutions for um, Sephardic youth. So what usually ha often happens in Sephardic communities is that, um, is that young people go to, to Jewish schools. But really, the case has been that Jewish is equated with Ashkenazi. And it's important to note that these schools, schools, some schools have become more sensitive to this and are trying to diversify, uh, you know, their education and, you know, various programs. But it's some, but the case has been, someone would say, okay, we have Jewish history. And it would be entirely be about Ashkenazi Jews. Mm -hmm. And there would be Sephardic um, young people in the classroom. So, for example, like Shin DC, so how are some of the ways that you all respond to that and, and prepare with your programs? So, so we do educational programs. Um, to, you know, we educate the, the public, um, nearly anyone who wants to learn about the heritage, but also for Sephardic Jews who want to connect to that heritage. We do some of that educating through social media, um, some through programs. We just did um, the first ever uh, congressional Holocaust commemoration focusing on Sephardic and Romanio Jewish experience. Greece lost about 85% of its Jews, which is second only to Poland. And I remember at some point I, I had a, f a friend ask me, how do Sephardic Jews relate to the Holocaust? And the, the assumption behind the question was that you didn't experience it. Because they weren't in Poland or Austria right. or Germany. And the thing is, some Sephardic Jews ex experienced the Holocaust and some didn't. Some Ashkenazi Jews did and some didn't. And the, the loss of over 85% of uh, of the Sephardic, of the Jews in Greece, um, and in the city of of um, Salonika, which Monde Thessaloniki, as high as um, ninety something percent. Um, how do you recover from that? And not only is there the question of how do you recover from that, but how do you recover from that when your experience is not acknowledged in Jewish schools? Hmm. Um, how do you recover from that when um, it's only recently that Holocaust museums, um, including USHMM and also um, Yad Vashem, added exhibits about the Sephardic experience after much effort. Mm -hmm. But part of the, the issue is that most of the survivors are now dead. And when we did the program on the Hill 
um, in January. These were elderly people, but they were children of the Holocaust. Hmm. And that's who we have now to tell these stories, much less collecting artifacts. And so one of the things that the, uh, um, the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum is doing is um, trying to collect these artifacts from Sephardic Jews to be able to tell that story. And um, so if there's anyone out there who has anything um, related to the you know, uh, Sephardic uh, or Romanio experience of the Holocaust, uh, please, please um, share it because really need that to be able to have a more complete story. And it's not just Greece. Um, there were concentration camps in North Africa. Um, one of the survivors that spoke in January was in a concentration camp called Jado in Libya. Um, she was one of 1,300 people. She now lives in Rockville, Maryland. Hmm. Uh, and so there's a great need for or education, and that's one of the things that uh, Sephardic Heritage International DC does through programs like the one we did on the Hill in January and also through some of the written materials that we share with people. Beautiful. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking this morning with Afram Katsar, the founding director of Sephardic Heritage International DC, a cultural diplomacy organization raising awareness for Sephardic Jewish culture, and uh, Vanessa Badre, who is uh, Catholic and an uh, art historian originally from France. As we do every episode in this uh, second half of our program, it's time to turn our mics over to my dear guests to ask each other some questions about anything that they'd like to follow up on about each other's stories, anything that they've um, heard about each other's experiences that they'd like to know a little bit more on. We seek to model a constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So, Ephraim, any questions for Vanessa? Uh, first of all, my, my heart goes out to, um, really to the world, because this is such an iconic, <laughs> um, you know, Notre Dame, such iconic um, part of the human experience. People on my Facebook account began to post all of their photos of, you know, that where they were at Notre Dame, and you know, quite a number of Sephardic Jews in, you know, from France, um, you know, were, were also posting and saying, you know, this is the this it will never be quite the same. Um, so how does does one go forward from well, that? And well, I'm I'm full of hope. I'm I'm definitely full of hope because Notre Dame, you know, has. Uh, has a story of Paris and the story of France. So you can imagine that it was completely destroyed. Well, of course, the forest, the woodwork that has burnt from the 13th century was still there. But can you imagine that during the revolution, all the statue was taken off, the treasure, the treasure has disappeared several times. You know, it was considered as a reserve of, uh, of, of cash. So uh, all the Kelly's, the, the chandelers, well, they were sold or uh, melt. So, so we have a story of, uh, of Notre Dame that is not a linear story. Um, revolution was really a 
bloody time where uh, Catholics were martyrized and sacrificed and, and all the churches as well in Notre Dame. And then uh, with Napoleon and the, the, the covenant that was called Concordat, he, ha he was uh, crowned as the emperor in Notre Dame. Uh, but after that, the, the, it was kept as a storage room. Uh, so, so we are, it, the, the revival of Notre Dame is thanks to a French architect called the Violet Le Duc. So it means that um, Notre Dame uh, was all, always up with, but with a lot, a lot of, uh, of tragic episodes. So this is the most tragic ever. Uh, but you know, this is a pendulum motion from desolation to consolation. So, so we were at the climax of desolation, and so now it's it's a time of hope. And there is also something that I wanted to say about the the the, the love relationship with Notre Dame. Uh, there is a, a particular link from everybody to not to Notre Dame. So that's why when we organize the fundraising campaign for the time of renovation, now it's reconstruction. But I think it is exactly the same spirit that we want to develop. Uh, we didn't ask, when we wanted to ask a lot of money, we didn't ask, uh, give us some money for the re renovation of Notre Dame. We said to people, would you like to adopt this uh, um, flying buttress, for instance. Would you like to adopt this statue? Uh, would you like to take this particular pillar? Uh, do you want to have this particular gargoyle? And, and it was highly symbolic for people. And for instance, my husband and I, we chose to renovate the spire, spire with the cross, and the cross is rooted into a, a Gallic rooster, into a cock. Um, and, and we chose that because it was highly symbolic for us. We can see the cross from very far away, and we thought that it would be a good sign for our children, you know, keep faith, whatever happens. So when we saw the spire collapse, and it was the first thing with, we, we, that was destroyed, it, it, for us, it was really something um, devastating. But a sign for, for the, the Holy Week, you know, passion, suffering, but resurrection as a promise. Vanessa, do you have any uh, questions for a friend? Um, did, did you have the chance to listen to the, the first words of the bishop for the official interview uh, with, uh, uh, with the president? And his first word was um, talking about uh, the conversation he had with the great rabbi of France. And the rabbi said, as the bishop said, I'm crying with you. But you know, in French, we have two words to say you, something that is very friendly and familiar, and another word that is more official and formal. And the, and the, the word that was used was a word of friendship, you know, je pleure avec toi, meaning I'm crying with you, but you, the you, you would use talking with a friend. So I think it was a very, very strong sign of unity. How do you feel it? I, I, I feel that unity is, is important, um, even in terms of the work that you do at Sephardic Heritage International DC. Uh, we do it for, an important part of that work is intercultural um, bridge building. And, and so I think it's so important for people to always find opportunities 
to be able to come together and to be able to find some common ground. And even though um, Notre, Notre Dame is a, it's a, it's a Catholic um, building and someone who, who is not Catholic might, or someone who is Jewish might wonder, well, how do I um, connect to that beyond what might be missing in the, in the landscape? Um, and so I think it's very important that, um, that Rabbi Corsia was, was able to show that kind of leadership so that people can take the opportunity to, to unite in that way. And, and for many of the things that we do, that's the approach that we take because one of the first steps of finding that common ground is to care. And so to show that kind of concern, I think is very important um, not just for the rabbi and for the, you know, the French Jewish community, but um, for for other Jews and also for anyone um, who's not Catholic and now has this opportunity to um, to unite and in this way. Great. Well, thank you all very much. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Before we go, I just want to ask if, if there are any um, Opportunities either uh, with Shin DC or through the the efforts that you're aware of for Notre Dame or uh, with your Catholic community events that you'd like to invite uh, listeners to to participate in. We'd like to invite everyone to to join us uh, right after Passover on April 28th, um, 1:30 to 3:30 at the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art for Mimuna. Uh, Mimuna is a, a festival that marks the end of Passover for, Moro for Moroccan Jews and other Jews in North Africa, but it's also become a, a symbol of coexistence, unity, friendship. And so it's, it's a very important um, tradition for us to keep up. And so we'll have some of the traditional um, foods for Mimuna, as well as a wonderful lineup of Gnawa music, uh, which is one of the uh, musical expressions in Morocco. Um, and so we welcome you to, to join us to celebrate Mimuna, which is a festival of good neighbors. For more information, let's go to shindc.org. Great. Thank you. Vanessa, any... Uh... Yes, please, please help us to rebuild Notre Dame. And you can send the money to the Foundation of the Friends of Notre Dame. Very easy to find on the Internet. Friends of Notre Dame and uh, all the good uh, will and good souls all over the world are welcome to help us to rebuild Notre Dame. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And uh, I wish you, Ephraim, Chag Sameach, a happy Passover and Thank a you. happy Easter to you, Thank uh, you Vanessa. very much. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank my terrific guests, art historian Vanessa Badre and Franz Ephraim Katzler, founding director of Shin DC. Thank you very much to both my guests. And as always, I'd like to give a special shout out to my fellow Interfaith-ishtronauts, Miranda Hofmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. 
I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to joining Sue and Miranda for our previous episode here in the studio during our station fun drive. But life happens, and that's the way it goes. So although I was not able to to be here last episode in person, I appreciated how Sue and Miranda held it down like the pros they are, especially with a riveting conversation about Sue's new book, The Interfaith Family Journal, now available in paperback wherever fine books are sold. It was a great episode, punctuated by your supportive calls and emails from near and far. So thanks again to you, dear listeners, and to everyone who supported our show during the recent Tacoma Radio Fun Drive. You make all of our great community programming possible. And you can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish programs on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcasts. We're also on social media at interfaith-ish. So keep writing us about the interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's I N. T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Wishing you all a uh, great holiday, uh, whichever holiday you celebrate or or are able to join with friends in celebrating this week. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.